you know, you may have like Zulu's touch or whatever, but when I walk in tonight, I look at him, I say, I know you. And he looks and says, I know you too. And uh, yeah, we hung out a fair bit back then. So he was, he was young, he's bright, he's, uh, he's in Calgary now, very involved in AA from what I'm gathering, very involved. And I'm so proud of him, I'm so happy. Like I say, I'm uh, overwhelmed actually in the sense Good evening, everybody. My name is Kevin Olson. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Happy to, to be here. Thanks, you guys. Uh, I run a, a big book study every Tuesday night, and we always start off the same way, and I'd like to uh, bring that tradition here, if you guys don't mind. Okay, everybody put one hand up like this. Everybody put another hand up like this. Everybody go, oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to have fun tonight, okay? It's, it's completely optional. You don't have to have fun. I'm going to. I highly recommend it. Um, my, uh, so just to get um, some things out of the way, uh, I was separated from alcohol February 18th of 2001. Um, my home group is the primary purpose group of Calgary, Alberta. Um, my sponsor's name is Daryl D. Daryl Dunphy, if anybody knows Daryl. <laughs> Good old Daryl. One of Daryl's home group members is here and speaking tomorrow morning, Denise. That's awesome. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you guys are in Daryl's group. Or rather, maybe Daryl's in your group. Yeah. Anyway, and uh, I'm an enthusiastic, devoted, grateful active member of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, I, I could not be more pleased to be here. I want to thank uh, everyone who had any hand whatsoever in putting this together. Um, I know because I've been a part of some other roundup committees that this doesn't just fall into place. Okay, There's a lot of people who worked really hard, I'm sure, over the last year, especially post-COVID. Because I don't know about you guys, but things were like kind of on hold for a while, right? And when we started to like say, okay, we want to do the gratitude roundup again for the first time in two years, it, it took some inertia to get it moving again. So my, uh, just a round of applause for the whole committee. Anyone who had a hand in getting this together? Um, I want to thank uh, Catherine for being so kind to me and helping me get this organized and, and getting here. I want to thank Mark my friend Mark, for asking me to, to come join you fine folks. I've known uh, Mark, really, uh, you know, you can thank COVID, uh, I think, for that. Like, you know, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel like since COVID, like AA is stronger than it's ever been. I think, you know, something that could have been so divisive for our fellowship, something that could have really torn us apart when they took away our meetings. I think that we are stronger now than we've ever been. We're more connected worldwide and globally than we've ever been. Um, and it, so Mark and, Mark and I got to know each other, I would say, you know, through sponsorship. Some of his sponsees were coming my way and some of mine were, were coming to Medicine Hat and we'd kind of known and heard about each other and, and uh, we got kind of connected and hooked up that way and I was really pleased to hear from him and, and to be asked to come to Medicine Hat because as Jim just alluded to, and thank you for introducing me, Jim, this is like ground zero for the very worst drinking I've ever done in my whole life, was in Medicine Hat, without a doubt. 
uh, a lot of memories from Medicine Hat. A lot of memories of the silver buckle. <laughs> Can I get a cheer, cheer if, you've, if you know what I'm talking about. You guys ever heard of the silver buckle? <laughs> what about the scoreboard sports lounge? Is that still there? The scoreboard? Oh man, could I tell you stories about the scoreboard? What about Ezzy's? Is Ezzy's? Oh, Ezzy's, yeah. What about the Rattler's Den at the college? At the college. Josh, sound familiar? Yeah, man. I, I mean, I get it. I get it. That's, this is where I did the very worst drinking of my life. And, and, uh, and uh, eventually, you guys know, okay, cheer if you've heard of this place. Okay? Five North. <laughs> For anyone, anyone, I'm, I'm recording this, anyone who doesn't know, it's the psych ward, okay? I spent more time at the psych ward than I did at any one of those bars, and uh, you know, I'll talk about that um, in a minute, but, but really, the person that I want to really talk to tonight, where's Brandon? Oh, he's right there, he's right in front of me. Brandon, you're who I really want to talk to tonight. You're the whole reason I'm here tonight, man. You're two? Two? Two-ish days? Two-ish days sober. Brother, I, I like, I... Coming back, coming back, right? I know all about coming back. I know all about coming back, Brandon. Is, in fact, you know, I, I'm privileged and honored to sponsor a lot of men in Alcoholics Anonymous. I like, you know, it's, it's a, I believe it's a, it's a God-given gift that I have. I'm uniquely crafted as an alcoholic who has been given this gift of recovery. This gift of the spiritual awakening through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm uniquely crafted to work with you. And I also kind of believe that I'm uniquely crafted to work with guys who are coming back. Because I have so much experience coming back to AA myself. Okay? And uh, I'm going to share about that. So, um, I guess I'm just going to get kicked off in my story. Like, you know, I was born uh, in Calgary. Um, I was an only child when I was born. I'm still an only child. And uh, I often identify myself as I'm a, I'm a recovering only child. Uh, I may have recovered from alcoholism, but I'm still getting over the only child stuff, okay? Because there's, you know, and, and actually, in our book, I'm kind of in good company uh, being an only child because uh, one of our co-founders, Dr. Bob, was an only child. And he says in his story that... Uh, uh, unfortunately for me, I was the only child, which perhaps engendered the selfishness which played such an important part in bringing on my alcoholism. And man, do I, do I get that as a, as a recovering only child. I, I completely know what it's like as a, you know, when I would have birthdays when I was a small kid, like six, seven, eight years old, birthday parties, all of my friends would still be at the party, uh, eating my cake and opening my presents and all that kind of stuff, and I'd be in timeout because there is nothing worse than an only child on their birthday, okay? I just wanted to control, I wanted to control the whole show from the day I, I was old enough to hold up my head as an infant. I was trying to run the show uh, as an only child, and that's, that's kind of the way that I was. And, uh, you know, that was fine, really not a big problem until I went out to the world with other people, and almost immediately, our book says I was in collision with everyone all the time and didn't know why. 
and hated them for it and felt like I didn't fit in, felt like I was a invited, felt like I was at a party that I hadn't been invited to all the time. Getting in, in, in and then the other, the other problem along with the selfishness was this self-centeredness, okay? Because when you're an only child like I was, all of the hopes and dreams of expectations of my parents were on me. Is that accurate? No, it wasn't. It wasn't accurate whatsoever, but that's what my mind had come up with. I believed that was real. And therefore, as an alcoholic, if you believe it's real, it must be real, right? So I had all of this pressure on me. I believed all of this self-centeredness. And man, by the time I was 12 years old, I was not doing well. I was not doing well. I was filled with anger, like rage. Alcoholics have a special, we have a special pure form of rage. Anybody else have that form of rage? Is it just me? Yeah, okay, we got a special brand of like anger, you know? And man, can I hold on to it? <laughs> I can hold on to it for years and, you know, Clearly, I'll, I'll talk about that tonight. It was filled with anger, and I was filled with this uh, loneliness. Loneliness, right? Because as, a, as an alcoholic, uh, rather, uh, I wasn't an alcoholic yet. I was an only child of two parents who worked and had a career. I was what's known as a latchkey kid, okay? And so I was by myself a lot. And as an only child, you learn how to kind of uh, keep yourself entertained, Okay, and uh, so I filled with this anger, filled with this loneliness, and then this, this anxiety. Terrible, terrible, terrible anxiety. As a kid, that if I didn't get like the like 100% on my science quiz, I would openly start crying in the middle of my grade six science class. I remember this vividly. Okay, now I think if you would have asked me at that point, Kevin, Kevin, what do you think is wrong right now? I don't think my answer would have been well, I think I suffer from a spiritual sickness, okay? But I've come to learn that that's exactly what was baked into my cake from the beginning, that I got here with that spiritual sickness. I really believe it. And one night, one magical night, in the back of a pickup truck in Medicine Hat, Alberta, on my way out to a farm party, with this new music blasting out of the cab, this song I'd never heard before, this band Metallica playing the song Enter Sandman. Yeah. Somebody handed me the solution to all those problems. Somebody handed me a two liter bottle of Rockberry wine cooler. And I found the solution to all of those problems in that two liter bottle of Rockberry wine cooler. And I didn't know, guys, I didn't know until years later that what happened when I took that drink is abnormal. What happened when I took that drink does not happen to everyone. It does not happen to normal drinkers. It does not happen to people like my parents. My parents are normal drinkers. By any definition of the word, it's disgusting. Okay? <laughs> I can't stand being, I can't stand it. But the truth is when I took that drink, I triggered what Dr. Silkworth, in this book, Brandon, do you have one of these? Okay. Have you, has anyone taken you through this yet? Yes. Okay. Let's do that again. Okay. Anyway, Dr. Silkworth, in this book, 
okay, talks about the physical allergy to alcohol. Manifests itself within me in the phenomenon of craving. Craving for what? Craving for more alcohol, which explained exactly why that night that two-liter bottle turned into anything and everything I could get my hands on that night. I started stealing drinks. I started uh, lying to people to get more drinks, and I was drinking. They called it a paralyzer, but what it really was was a bunch of vodka dumped in some chocolate milk. <laughs> and I was, I was wearing this bright white like button-down shirt, and I spilled paralyzer all over. And, uh, you know, there's some behaviors, some typical behaviors that only alcoholics really get involved in. Will you, guys, will you guys do a little audience participation with me? We'll do a little qualification, okay? Raise your hand if you have ever bought off sales after the bar closed. <laughs> yeah, everyone in the room, right? There's only one category of people on planet Earth that need more alcohol after the bar closes, okay? And those are people in the grips of physical allergy that's manifested itself in this phenomenon of craving for more alcohol. I promise you, go ask a normal drinker what off sales is. <laughs> See if they know. See if they know, okay? What's interesting, you know, when we talk about our singleness of purpose here, we talk about uh, alcoholics and then, and then people who are, are drug addicts, right? I, I don't want to get into any controversy. I just want to share a little story with you. I sat down with a couple guys in a treatment center. We were talking about, uh, the one guy says, I'm an alcoholic, and the other guy says, no, 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 I, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just a drug addict, okay? I won't say which drug. It's like, I'm just, yeah, we all laugh, right? Because we've been there before. I've sponsored dozens of guys, we started out that way, and, and we were able to go through this work, go through this material, help him qualify himself as an alcoholic, and boom, he's in. No big deal. I don't know why it ever became controversial that you need to be an alcoholic to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Why would this cause controversy? I don't know, but it does. So... I sit down with these two guys, and I ask them that same question. Alcoholics like off sales, like, yeah, like all the time, they knew me on a first name basis. This drug addict is like, well, off with sales, I don't know. I was like, oh, he didn't know. He really didn't know what they were. So then I asked them both the next question I'm gonna ask all of you. This is a, a, a trick question, a trivia question, okay? Because I'm the kind of guy, after I buy the off sales, that night, later that night, it's like five o'clock in the morning, Okay, all the beer's gone. Everybody's passed out, but I want to keep the party going. So I'm walking around and I'm drinking other people's bottom beers, right? Now here's the question. What do I invariably get in my mouth when I tip one of those bottles back? These are my people. I'm home, I'm home right now, okay? The, Chris, uh, the, uh, the drug addict. He was revolted. <laughs> this crystal meth addict was like, yo, that's disgusting. You guys, <laughs> he didn't get it, he didn't get it. And that really highlighted to me that there are people who, who are drug addicts that do not suffer from our disease from time to time, right? And you know, I always say like, look, no one's checking ID at the door, okay? Like it, it, when you come in, like, you know, it, whatever you wanna do, but, but um, I believe that, that there is a disease of alcoholism. I believe that I have this disease, and I believe that that qualifies me uniquely because I have this desire to stop drinking. But the third, the long form of the third, third tradition says our fellowship ought to include all those who suffer from alcoholism. I suffer from alcoholism, therefore I'm entitled to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? 
And I proved that to myself for the very first time in the back of that pickup truck. Okay? And it's safe to say that I had a spiritual experience that night. Okay? I was running around. I was crazy. There was a bonfire. Girls were laughing. Like everyone, everyone thought I was cool in my mind anyway. And uh, man, I was just howling at the moon. Howling at the moon. Okay? And I made, I made a conscious, unconscious, whatever you want to say, decision that night that I was going to do that every chance I got for the rest of my life. I never, ever, ever wanted to go back to being the other guy. And you all know the other guy, right? The other guy is who I bring every time I get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the problem. I bring that, that same spiritual sickness back to AA, and I think that I'm sober. This is as good as it gets. I'm sober. This is supposed to be the solution, this sobriety. And that, that's not it. The promise that I make to newcomers when they come to me is not only can you stay sober, not only do you never have to drink again, but you don't ever have to feel this way again. I know that, re that resentment. I know that fear. I know that restlessness, that irritability, the discontent, the terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. I know it, man. I lived it. I lived it for a long time, and I lived it for a long time in Alcoholics Anonymous. Spinning around. Jim, you nailed it, man. You better believe I was going to two or three meetings a day, man. By the time I got to Calgary, Jim, there was a time I was going to five meetings a day. And I'd get home, and I'd want to kill myself. Anybody here ever had that experience? Okay, everybody, anybody ever been sitting smack dab in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous and know that you're not getting it? Man, I did. I did for a long time. I was going to five meetings a day on the bus, spinning around and around, thinking, thinking, and the biggest lie that I ever told myself is that I've been to AA, it doesn't work. I've never even been close to AA. And the analogy that I like to make about it is like going to the gym, because we all know people who, who they go to, they get the Lululemons, okay, and they get the water bottle, and they get the headphones, and they go to the gym, right? And they bop around, and they talk to people. It's funny, though, you don't ever see them actually do anything. You don't actually ever see them pick up a weight. And then these same people want to complain that they're not getting fit. To me, that was my experience in AA. I was all around AA, I was going to lots of meetings, but I had never ever actively been engaged in this work. I'd never ever actually been engaged in these 12 steps, okay? And uh, what happened for me after many, many trips in and out of treatment centers, many, many trips out of psych wards as I alluded to, many, many trips in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like I told Jim, that time between 17 and 22 was the most painful in my life because I knew that there was a solution and I knew that I didn't have it, okay? Now, I'm not gonna say that, that people were not carrying a big book message to me. Man, there was a guy in Medicine Hat. Did anybody ever know a guy in, in, in Ingwani? Anyway, I remember this guy named Lonnie would come to the psych ward, come to Five North and, and take me to meetings. Do you guys still have meetings at the airport? Oh yeah. Up at the airport, in that little room, same place? Yeah. That's crazy. That's like, you know, 25 years ago I, bet I was there. And uh, he would come and pick me up. He'd sign me out of the hospital, we'd go there, and we would break the rules every time. Because he was supposed to take me directly back to the hospital but he would stop at, we would stop at Nifty 50's Cafe, down on Kingsway, is it still there? 
Oh, it moved. Anyway, we'd stop at Nifty 50s and we'd have french fries and a milkshake. The message of AA was there. People were trying to carry it to me. I just was not receiving it. Okay? And like Chuck Chamberlain, a great AA speaker, is no, no longer with us, but he says, you know, we can't hear until we can hear and we can't see until we can see. And it doesn't matter who's talking. It doesn't matter if the ghost of Bill Wilson is resurrected trying to 12-step me. If I'm not listening, it just doesn't matter, okay? And the only thing that ever made me really honest, open-minded, and willing enough to really start listening was pain, unfortunately. I didn't get here through virtue. I didn't get here through intellect. Okay, I got here because I was driven to AA under the lash of alcoholism, beaten into a state of reasonableness. I've returned to a treatment center again that I had already been to. Anybody here ever heard of 1835? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Any alumni? Can I get a hoorah? Hoorah! There you go. Okay, 1835, man. 1835 house. I liked it so much, Neil, I went twice. <laughs> That's it's true. Uh, and the second time I went back, crying, begging to get back in, literally. Literally begging, begging them. Because it was either that or homelessness. That's, it was that or the mustard seed, the mats of the mustard seed down in the warehouse district. That's what I was looking at. And so they called me back and said, Kevin, we want you to know the counselors. We took a vote and we've decided to let you in. I said, great. They said, we want to let you know the vote was not unanimous. Okay? And the reason the vote wasn't unanimous is because I was not an easy character to deal with. I had a lot of very problematic defects of character. Jim uh, had mentioned I was, yeah, smart, okay? Maybe too smart to get this. Man, I was so smart I was almost dead. That's how smart I was. And nobody likes, uh, you know, likes the smart aleck. And that's what I was, and it was a defense mechanism. And I was just an extremely difficult person to be around, drunk or sober. And so it was hard for them to let me back in the house. Um, I'm not good with rules okay, to this day. Okay. In fact, Justin, is it Justin? Thank you. Uh, was up here. As soon as he started talking about the rules for the day, I, like, I just went and got coffee. I didn't even listen. Right? You're not going to tell me any rules, right? Rules. Okay. Every step four I ever have, every step four I ever, I ever do, the Calgary Parking Authority is on, like, call me number one. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. The Calgary Parking Authority is my arch nemesis, okay, because the rules don't apply to me, okay? This is, this is the defect, okay? And it was the same thing in 1835. Anyway, long story short, guys, they let me back into 1835 by God's grace, and um, really what happened in that house are, is really two things. One... I started listening to an abundance of Alcoholics Anonymous speaker tapes. And I, become, I became deeply, deeply, I fell deeply in love with Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time. Uh, listening to those tapes, listening to men like Chuck Chamberlain and Clancy Immersland and Bob Darrell, men who I've had the pleasure of meeting now. These men are my heroes. And I've, I've had, I met Clancy before he passed and I've met Bob. I'm gonna see Bob this December in, uh, in, uh, in Las Vegas. And, uh, um, you know, are they mortal men? Are they fallible alcoholics? Yes, of course. But to me, at that time, those men on those tapes, I could, Larry T, Keith D, Vince Y, uh, Bob B, Tom G, I could name a hundred of them. To me, that was the voice of God. 
That was the closest thing that I, that was the closest power that I could come to believe in at that time. But that's enough. Step two is the only one that's the word, or step that talks about the word power. That's all I need. I just got to believe that there's a power, okay? That there is something. I got to be willing to believe that there's something. And those men helped me get through the door, across the threshold. The other thing, they had these other tapes down at the bottom. There's a whole set of them. These two guys that spoke together, I guess. Their names were Joe and Charlie. You bet, amen. Because I became a student of the big book. That's a lot different than just being an AA member for me. That changed everything for me. When I began to understand that, that this book, I believe, is divinely inspired. That this book was written by, as, jo as Joe and Charlie say, in Cowboy Ray. I don't know if you guys know Cowboy Ray. Started to do in-person big book studies in, in uh... Denise would know Cowboy Ray. No, okay, anyway. He's, he's, no, he's no longer with us, but... but uh... I do. Who did? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and he, he, he got it from Joe and Charlie. As, as they would say, this book is written by the first 100 members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I'm going to argue... With this book, I'm really gonna be arguing with the first three, a uh, hundred people that created this program. That like, you know, that really changed my understanding of this book. Then he went to the forward to the second edition, and he pointed out the percentages. He talked about 50% of people got sober at once. And I wanted, like Jim said, I wanted it. I just didn't know. I felt like I was laying next to a lake, dying of thirst, in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous, not knowing why. And the, Cowboy Ray pointed out 50%, 75%. After some relapses, Brandon, like I did, time and time and time again, 75% got sober when I did exactly what was indicated in the book. See, I've come to learn that there's two sides of our program. That there is the fellowship, and then there is the program. And in order to live happy, contented sobriety, I must have both. That's my belief, okay? Someone told me one time, you can stay sober on fellowship alone. You can stay sober on fellowship without doing the steps if you're lucky, okay? And then he described luck as if nothing really bad ever happens or nothing really good ever happens because we all know that good can be just as lethal for people like us as bad, okay? But is that likely? No. Our book says certain trials and low spots, man. Certain trials and low spots. Okay? Yeah, there are going to be vicissitudes. I didn't know what that word meant until I came to AA. Right? Vicissitudes. Right? Yeah. Every life there's going to be sunny days and there's going to be rain. And in order to get through all of that with not only physical sobriety, because physical sobriety is great. But I can tell you, I've destroyed as many things in my life with my alcoholism and my defects of character in sobriety as I ever did when I was drinking. Okay, I've had to go back and make step nine amends to people that I hurt. And believe me, there wasn't a bottle in my hand. There was just a mind full of defects of character and a razor sharp tongue. So in order for me to live any type of life, I had to get involved in both sides of of that program, and that's what I did. And I got deeply involved in this book, and I began teaching the book, and uh, for a time, all went well, right? <laughs> Dale recognizes that line, right? 
All went well for a time, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I went back to university. I got my degree. I mean, and that was, that was like never going to happen to me. I went back and got my university degree. The, one of the first things I had to do was go make amends to the University of Calgary. Okay, I had, to go, I had to go do a step nine at the UFC in order for them to let me back into school. And anyway, I went to school, got my degree. I got my degree while I was still living in a halfway house. I was living in an Oxford house. And, and uh, you know, I want to say, guys, I, you know, my, my first year, if you're here and you're in, anybody here in their first year of sobriety? Anyone? All right. Guys, let's give them a round of applause. Yeah. First, first year of sobriety. Um, I'm really glad you guys are here, but my first year sobriety sucked, <laughs> okay? It was really, really painful. It, it was not easy uh, getting through all that. One of the things, one of the hardest things for me to learn to do was, was have a job, like to get a job. I don't job well, <laughs> okay? It's not easy for me. It's really not, okay? Uh, one of the things I've learned, these people are just obsessed with what time you show up. <laughs> Just like OCD with these guys. And every day, <laughs> it was a bit much for me and in my early recovery. And so consequently, I had like 11 jobs my first year sober. Um, I didn't find that out till my fourth year sober when I did my taxes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You know, I had jobs. My first job, I mean, it was humble, humble beginnings. My first job in sobriety was, was I was working on a cleaning crew. Okay, so we would all hop in the back of this minivan and drive around to rich people's houses and clean their houses for them. And I was the new guy on the crew. So guess what I got to clean all day? All day, every day. Well, not every day. And that was a joke. <laughs> But that's where it started, you know, and my next job after that, I was working at Quiznos. You guys know Quiznos, the sandwich shop? I was 22 years old, living in a treatment center, and my, and my supervisor was 15. <laughs> okay? I come from humble beginnings, humble, humble beginnings. But, you know, little by little, and it was actually AA, it was through service work. It was, through, it was a result of being an intergroup and, G, and GSR and, like, showing up and doing my position that I thought to myself, you know what, maybe I could... At around four years sober, I thought maybe I could go back to college and try that. And, and I did. And I went back and got my degree and uh, started to get jobs. And, and, uh, and uh, around that time, I fell in love. I fell in love. And she and I got, got engaged. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was just too cute, her and I. We were just like this little couple, and it was going to be awesome. And, and uh, we got, you know, the wedding dress bought. And engagement photos done and and you know booked the church and all that stuff like our parents met and it was all sweetness and light it was wonderful and i had this this job this great job and she, she you know everything was great and she went on a business trip to maui and while she was in maui she met charlie the surf instructor in maui and I was, you know, six years sober, standing there minding my own business. And she came back and, and just said, guess what, hotshot? I've met the man of my dreams. His name is Charlie in Maui, and you ain't it anymore. You got to move out. You got to move out right now. It's over. That's it. Now, 
I would love to tell you guys that I handled that with spiritual grace, but I did not. I did not, and I got crazy. I got really, really sick. I ended up back in the psych ward. Um, I relapsed without drinking, okay? For three years, I just went absolutely stark raving, insane, sick, heartbroken, uh, lost, weight, like, like it was really, really, really bad. And people in AA kept saying things like, well, just turn it over. Have you found a reason to be grateful yet? Right? Have you tried, to, you know, things like that. And I got mad at AA. I got mad at AA. I got mad at you. I got mad at the book. My big line at that time was, show me where it talks about this in the book. Right? And uh, it doesn't. It actually talks about it in 12 and 12 in step two. It says that exact thing. The woman we wanted to marry had other plans, right? But we were still able to believe in something. So for that three years, anyway, I went crazy. I got really sick, went back to the hospital. And, uh, you know, looking back at that now, today, I think about um, why, why, why? Like, why did I get so sick? and so crazy, like yeah, there's breakups, people go through breakups, people in this room are probably going through breakups and divorces and, and all that stuff, but like, I mean, I was catastrophically devastated, and why was that? Why did that happen? It's taking me a lot of inventory, looking back on why, and the reason is what it talks about on page 25 in our book. It says the central fact of our lives is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. You guys with me on that? Page 25. The central fact of my life is my recovery and God. God needs to be the central fact of my recovery. When I keep God as the central fact of my recovery, when I keep God as the center, everything that orbits around that center flourishes and is well. If I put something else in the center, like a career, or a job, or a fiance, and it can happen so quickly, it can happen so seductively, that I don't even see it's happening, right? I get something else in the center, and when she left, that same God that I had been talking about at the AA meeting a week ago, suddenly walked out the door and I was devastated. It wasn't a heartbreak, it was a spiritual break. I was spiritually broken and I had to start over. And that's what I did. By God's grace, I always kept in touch with my, my buddies in AA. I mean, they were good. They, didn't, they knew what I was going through, man. They didn't try to put me in a chokehold and, and drag me back. They knew that wouldn't work. Three years, through God's grace, I got in touch with... Uh, a friend in AA and I just said, hey, you know, you going to a meeting tonight? And so we went, we went again. And, uh, and I knew, I knew that I had to get, go through the, the 12 steps again immediately, like as fast as possible and get back into sponsoring dudes. And I knew that that was, that was the, the solution. I knew that I needed to, to do it on a, on a new footing, on a stronger footing, on an actual spiritual foundation. And, and that's what we did. And so we, we, uh, my friend Adam, I said, Adam, you just take me through, will you? He said, yeah, you got it, man. And we, we ripped through that. And we got to step four and, and five. And one of the things, I want to tell you guys the story. One of the things on my step four and five was uh, um, this uh, SUV that I bought with her. 
prior to her return to Maui. Okay, so she and I bought this SUV together, and both our names were on the loan, right? And so when she left, I had to get her name off the loan, and the financiers wanted like a different interest percentage, and, and it was going to cost me like $10,000, and I hated this vehicle because it reminded me of her, and like, you guys understand, right? So, so I park this SUV, I drive it over to Adam's house, we go in, we do this, you know, again, step one, you know, most of it was about her, step four was about her, column one, SUV. So we're done, the uh, inventory, and Adam says, let's go for breakfast. I said, all right, cool. So we walk out, and in the front yard, there's police lights, okay? Which, by the way, is not the first thing you want to see when you finish a step five. <laughs> this is uh, totally true. So then I look, and those police lights are all around the SUV. And then I look again, and all those police lights are around what used to be my SUV. Because while we were inside doing inventory on this stupid SUV, a guy who was texting while he was driving came and hit the back of the SUV, accordioned it in front of the car in front of him. The other driver was fine. The car was written off. I never had to drive that vehicle again, and insurance bought me a new car. <laughs> I want to talk about amends, amends real quick. Are you guys okay? We got a little bit late start. Can I have like a full hour? Can I talk to like 10 after 8? Is that okay with you guys? Oh, yeah. That's okay, Dale? Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Not that Dale makes the rules. No. Let's get a group conscience, Dale, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing. Don't mess with Dale. Okay, so... Um, I want to talk about amends. Uh, most, most of the people that I made amends to, like, you know, nine times out of ten, if you're here and you're in your first year, you've never done amends, I, I've, got a, I've got a spoiler alert for you. Most of the people that you go to make amends to, it's not going to be a big deal. Like 98% of the people that I made amends to just say, it's okay. Just, I'm glad you're sober. I hope you're well. Keep doing what you are doing. This, we're good. Okay? Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Most of the time, but not every time. And my mom wasn't having it because I'd broken her heart so many times and I'd lied to her so many times and I'd broken promises to her so many times that she was not having it. And my dad accepted my amend like, my, dad, my dad's like the greatest guy in the world. Today, I know that, <laughs> hey? But my mom uh, was really, you know, she needed to see change, right? And I, man, I, I remember like, Man, I worked really, really hard at it. I worked really, really hard. I remember going to uh, uh, their place for Christmas for the first time with gifts that I bought with my own money and that I had wrapped with wrapping paper before I got there. Her, exactly. Her mind was blown, right? But still, okay? Standing off a little bit. I understand. I'll never forget. They, uh, my parents were traveling. And they said, Kevin, we need someone to come water our plants. If we give you a key to our house, will you come water our plants for us? And I'll tell you, man, like, 
No, no, I want to be clear. They, they still put the dog and cat with someone else. <laughs> but they let me come and take care of the plants. And I'll tell you what, man. Those plants, no one ever took better care of those plants. Those plants, I'd call my sponsor before I go water the plants. I'd talk to the plants and polish the plants and water the plants. And, and man, my parents came back and my mom said I'd done a really good job. And then, and then they asked for the key back. <laughs> of course. But, um, you know, through God's grace and the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous, what happened to me at about four years sober is uh, one night my dad was out of town and my mom... Um, called me and it was late at night and she was sick and uh, she asked if I could uh, come and get her and pick her up. See, one of the worst things that I ever did in my whole life is my mom, I was drunk in uh, the basement. And when I say drunk, like, I, I just mean like a level of drunk. I mean like old drunk. I mean like days drunk. I mean like popping any pills that said do not take with alcohol may cause drowsiness and then wash those down with cough syrup and then wash those down with gin or vodka or whatever I could get my hands on. I mean drunk. And uh, my mom uh, was coming into the house and she slipped on the stairs and she broke her leg. And this is before cell phones. And so my mom started, she knew my car was in the driveway and she started calling for help. She started screaming for help for me to come help her, her only, only child, the only child to come help her. And uh, I couldn't hear anything, you know? I was in a blackout, I was in, you, you know how it is. And so she crawled with that broken leg down, down, down to the basement until she hit the door hard enough that I answered the door, finally. Got out of my stupor and came and answered the door and she said, Kevin, I need help. And I just said, Mom, I, I don't know what to tell you. I can't deal with this. And I closed the door and I locked it. And I left her there. That might have something to do with why it took her a little while to accept my amend. But that night, four years sober, she called me when she was sick to come and pick her up. Would you take me to 8th and H Medical Clinic in Calgary, Kevin? I need your help. And I couldn't have raced faster to go pick up my little mom and take her to the clinic. And I'll tell you guys what, it was four years sober after showing change over that period of years, becoming a different man, letting Alcoholics Anonymous change my character of who I was, from being the man that I had been, the taker, to making that transition to being a giver and being trustworthy by my mom. Sitting in that waiting room at three o'clock in the morning at 8th and 8th Medical Clinic, she accepted my formal Step 9 amends for the first time. And I want you to know, today my mom is my best friend, man. I was talking to her while I was driving up here. She just wishes me good luck, and she's so thrilled with, with everything that's going on. And, and uh, you know, we went through those steps. I want to tell you guys, um, I went to a meeting in Las Vegas, and, and uh, when, when I was, you know, had come back, and, and we were going through the steps, and we went to this uh, meeting called the Specific Group in Las Vegas. I don't know, Dale, if you, you've been there. That, that was Bob, Bob D's home group in the past, and, and I didn't know. I didn't know Bob D at that time. I had no idea. I just, I thought I'd remembered seeing a tape in 1835 that said Bob D specific group. I thought I'd remembered that. I was looking for a meeting. You know, I'm in Vegas, right? I'm looking for a meeting, okay? <laughs> and I can go. I was in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Make no mistake. I was not there swearing off every minute of the day. I can go to Vegas today in God's grace and God's power. 
on the right footing. I can go anywhere in the world, man. I love Las Vegas. I've only been to Vegas sober. Because when I'm drinking, there's no trips to Vegas. When I'm drinking, there's trips to the basement suite and back to the liquor store and back to the basement suite. Those are the trips I make when I'm drinking. So I go to Vegas, I go to this meeting, and I gotta tell you, I had a mountaintop experience at this meeting. I'd never seen anything like it. It was the most lit up, enthusiastic um, meeting I'd ever seen. Uh, it was organized and disciplined, and every person who got up announced what their sober day was and who their sponsor was, and they talked about nothing else other than that book and the power of God in their lives. And they talked about anything short of a spiritual awakening and I am doomed to die an alcoholic death. And they had a three minute timer. Every person who shared got three minutes to share and nodded. They cut you off in mid-sentence. I'd never seen anything like it and I came back to Calgary and I was, and my friends could see I had had, I was lit up. Something had happened within me and I was, uh, Compelled, I felt it was a calling. Guys, we have got to start a meeting. We've got to start a meeting. I, we've got to start something. And my buddy Adam that I had just talked to you about, he got sober with uh, um, Chris Raymer in La Hacienda. And Adam, and so he came back to Calgary and he was like, well, where, where is that AA, right? And, and Chris said to him, man, you must create the fellowship you crave. That's what our book says, right? So Adam and I and a guy named Warren and a guy named Armand got together and we, we founded the Primary Purpose Group in Calgary. Uh, it was the four of us, the first meeting was four of us and uh, three guys from a homeless shelter. And I will tell you, of those, of the people in the room that night, three of the founders are still sober and one of the homeless guys is still sober. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And, uh, you know, we fast forward to, that was like 14 years ago, and uh, on any given night, between in the room and on Zoom, we'll have 120 people wow. every Wednesday night. Um, some, some would say it's the largest meeting in, in, in Calgary now, and, and uh, you know, we don't, we don't count numbers. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we, of course we do. Of course we do. We're obsessed. <laughs> no, we, I mean, we try not to be, but um, I want to be mindful of time here, but that's been one of the coolest things. You know, to have a host of friends, to watch a fellowship grow about you, this is an experience you must not miss, okay? And to, to see that meeting grow and, and see what it's become today is uh, one of the, truly one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. And, uh, you know, COVID hit, and it, and it was tough, man. It was, it was scary, and the only thing I could do is just stay focused on, 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 on service in AA. That was it, and what are we gonna do? How do we keep the fire burning, okay? As we saw all these fires going out, we saw all these candles getting, getting, getting blown out all over the place, all these meetings. What could we do to keep the fire burning? And so we moved, like, you know, I know we have no affiliation with, with any outside enterprise, but thank God for Zoom, okay? Because Zoom allowed us to keep it, to keep it alive for that little period of time. And I know people that got sober on Zoom, right? And, and uh, so that's what we've done. And to this day, we will still, we will always be a Zoom hybrid. Always, always. We've, we've made that decision. Um, because it's so commensurate with our primary purpose. We can functionally carry the message to just more people if we're online. Yes, are there some people who are lazy and don't want to come to the meeting, they want to stay at home? Okay, okay, so what? Fine, they can at least still come, right? It's better than them not being able to come. And the coolest part is we've had members like, go to Thailand for like two months and 
Man, he never, his name is Mackie. I love him. He never missed his home group. He was at the business meetings, right? He came to the business meetings online, on virtual. It was great. So, um, just two more things I want to share with you about like, kind of like what it's like today. And neither of these things am I sharing with you in any type of way to, uh, uh, to um, as a, a flex or a boasting. I, I really hope it doesn't feel that way to you. What I want to do is share with you a couple of things that have happened in my life over the last four years or so um, as, as, as evidence uh, of what God has done in my life. You know, the step three prayer says, take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those that I will help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. And that's all I want to do right now is just bear witness to you of a couple things that God has done in my life, okay? Probably about four and a half, maybe five years ago, uh, a woman walked into the, the, the Monday Night Big Book study that I do, and um, she and I, uh, you know, initially I stayed away because if you ever, well, Dale, you have met Nikki. You met Nikki. I did, yeah. Dale, we're getting married. Right on, dude. That's what I wanted to share. That's what I wanted to share. And you can imagine, yeah, 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 Dale, Dale has met Nikki. So, so you know what I mean when I say, at first I stayed away because she looks like she's like 19, okay? She's 35, okay? I checked. She looks really, really young. So when I met her, I thought, mm, like, no, like, no way. I mean, you know, you know the rules here, right? Like, we don't, we just don't uh, at all. Um, she looked really young, and I figured she's probably about four days sober, and that's a, that's a, that's a no-fly zone, okay? Obviously, we know that. Um, but then I found out she was 31 and she was 10 years sober. And suddenly, to me, she was a 10 out of 10. <laughs> so, um, so, so uh, yeah, that's really great, Dale. Uh, she, she, uh, she still has that knife you gave her. And that that's a, sounds funny, uh, but uh, it was, it was a, a, a silent auction giveaway. That was a really meaningful uh, event for her at the Golden Roundup because she wasn't, she wasn't really well for a period of time in AA. She was a person who was 10 years sober and was stark raving crazy. And she was going to about one meeting a year and didn't have a sponsor and hadn't worked the steps. And she too ended up in the psych ward. I'm actually kind of proud of her. She's the only person I've ever seen that got taken to the psych ward in an ambulance with the lights flashing. <laughs> that was very attractive to me. <laughs> Anyway, little by little, little, little by little, um, little by little, Nikki and I got to know each other, and little by little, you know, Dale, I want you to know today she has an excellent sponsor. She also has excellent sponsees, Dale. She's, she's come the full circle, and I've got to, to see that happen in her, and we live together now, and, and a little while ago, I mean, a thing that was never, ever, ever, ever going to happen to me. Man, after that deal with that girl who went to Maui, I was a serial bachelor forever. Okay, I was going to dedicate my life to service and Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was okay with that. That, to me, still felt like it would be a life well-lived, that I would get to the end of my life, and I would not feel that I had had a wasted life, that this was going to be it. Okay, and then God gave me a gift, and her name is Nikki. And God said, don't blow it this time. <laughs> and uh, a little while ago, I, I, you know, I went and, a diamond and proposed to her and, and uh, she said yes and it's 
we have a miraculous life. She's a member at my home group, and and uh, we're just we're really, really like we love each other. We're madly in love, but we also like each other. We're also like best friends. You know what I mean? And uh, to anyone who might say like, well, you guys are in the program together. That, that maybe shouldn't be like. You know, I'll tell you if if I'm doing my deal, and she's doing her deal, which she does. Man, it works great. Especially when we're both working step 10. I'll tell you, at about 3.30 this afternoon, well, we both worked step 10. <laughs> and promptly admitted that we had been wrong to each other about, we'd just gotten a little, a little spat. I'm like, what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And, but I want to tell you, after I proposed to her, I got scared right away. The fear came back, like, I'm going to get hurt again. I'm going to get hurt again. I'm going to get hurt again. You know, sirens start going off, right? Now, conventional wisdom would be, well, you need to talk to your partner about that, right? Isn't that right? Isn't that what, like, Oprah would say? Talk to your partner. <laughs> How selfish would that have been? I would have ruined that whole moment for her. Talking about my trauma. My trauma. I thought I was hurt. And now I'm scared. Right? How much would that, that would have ruined that whole beautiful moment for her. This is, she, no, she's never been married before. It would have been like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This man proposed to her. She was overjoyed, and I would have destroyed it. I didn't need to talk to Nikki. That's not what our book says. Who did I need to talk to about my fear? I needed, I needed to talk to God. We ask God to remove our fear and direct our attention towards what he would have us be, man. What do I think he would have us be? Love and service, baby. Love and service, that's it, okay? So, now, miraculous life that Nikki and I have. And I want to let you guys know why I was late today. Well, not late, but I, it was certainly later than I wanted to be getting here. And why I'm not going to be able to stay for the whole weekend. In fact, I have to leave tomorrow morning. Denise, I'm sorry, I won't, I won't get to hear you talk. Uh, I've got to get back because I have to fly to Houston. And I have to fly to Houston because this drunk, alcoholic severely mentally ill at one time, severely fraught with every defect of character you could ever imagine. Uh, as I said, I went back, my, got my degree, and I started getting jobs, and I started getting better and better jobs, and I started, um, I got into sales, not unusual in AA. It's like salesmen and lawyers, right? And uh, I got into the oil business, and uh, I started working at a company about five years ago as a, as a salesman, and then about two and a half years ago, some normies came to me and said, Kevin, we want you to manage a team of our normies. And, uh, and so I, I, I took that role on, I became a manager for Canada, and that was, that was you know, a great learning experience. It was September of 2019 I took that job on. And so what could possibly go wrong? Oh, how about a global worldwide pandemic? That put a little crimp on our business, but I worked through that and I managed our team through that and it was okay. And then a little while ago, some other normies came to me at the same job. And all I'm doing is like, is working hard, doing the job that I've been asked to do, showing up every day, showing up on time, okay? and working really hard at that particular job and bringing God into everything that I do. 
Like Chuck Chamberlain says, man, I try to make sure it's a 12-step call every time I go, okay? I'm of service, it's a 12-step call at work. I'm of service to the guys that, re that report to me. I'm of service to our customers and our clients. I'm of service to uh, the people that my boss is. I'm of service to all of them, okay? And that's all I did. And then, and then about a month ago, some guys came to me and said, Kevin, we think you've done such a great job managing the sales team in Canada that we want you to manage the sales team globally. And uh, so that was actually officially announced this morning. So can you imagine for me right now, you wanna talk about living in the fourth dimension. That gets announced this morning that, and now I, I'm, I and, and they wanted me so bad they don't even request that I move to Houston to do this. Because I told them I won't. I, I, I won't move to Houston. I want to stay in Calgary. And they said that would be okay. You can do it remotely. But I have to fly to Houston for a couple weeks anyway. And here I am now. This was, this was announced this morning. And so I've been on the phone with people all day long about, you know, you can imagine all of this stuff. And here I am tonight talking to you, seeing Jim when I was 17 years old here in Medicine Hat and absolutely hopeless alcoholic. And I want you all to know that, that I have been recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body as a result of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the relationship with God that I have connected to and accessed through those 12 steps. And uh, I'm so grateful to be here. It's so nice to be in Medicine Hat. I want to thank Mark again for asking me to come and speak. Thanks to Jim for introducing me and Catherine for getting me all sorted out. And, and uh, stay tuned because we're going to do the foundation meeting at, uh, I think, 9 o'clock. So thank you very much, you guys. I love you all.